Today we're going to wrap up this series uh, where we've been uh, challenged to move forward in our faith. This is for those of us who have moments in our lives where we've just been stuck, where we just recognize we haven't grown in a while, nothing has happened new in our faith in a while. We started out in Colossians chapter 1 and Paul reminded us that Jesus is the only one who deserves to have center stage in our lives, the centerpiece, the one who affects the way we think, the way we talk, the decisions that we make, how we treat other people. He's the only one who deserves that spot. In chapter 2, Paul said, we, we can move with Jesus. We can move with Jesus from death to life if you choose to make Jesus the center of your life. Everything changes for you. It's not just an add-on, but, but you become something brand new. And in chapter 3, we talked about if, if you have made Jesus the center of your life, it should show up in your actions. It should show up in how you live and the things that you choose to do the way that you treat people, what you do with your time, talent, and treasure. All of that should, should change based on who is at the center of your life. And so today we're going to finish out with chapter 4 and answer the question, now what? If, if I have put Jesus at the center and, and I'm working on learning to move like Jesus, to live the way that he lives, then now what? And we're going to answer that question Today. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open to Colossians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start in verse 2. And see how Paul ends this letter. Now, Paul is writing this letter from prison. Uh, he is in prison because of his uh, actions of sharing the gospel boldly and without compromise in the Greek communities. Sometimes he makes Jews mad. Sometimes he makes Greeks mad. Uh, but he has ended up in prison uh, for this. And he is, uh, his goal is to get these people to a place where they can participate in his work while he is in prison. So the, the goal is if Paul can't be out and about doing the things that he had been doing, that somebody is doing those things. And so that, that's where he's trying to get these people. So we're going to find out this is the destination that Paul had in mind all along from the very first verse of this letter. So let's begin with Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So Paul encourages them at the end, don't forget to pray, and don't forget to pray all the time. That word steadfastly is a word we don't use a whole lot, but it just means persistence. It means not giving up. It brings to mind this parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18 about this widow who had this complaint that she brought to the judge, and the judge ignored her and put her off, and so she brought it again, and the judge ignored her, so she brought it again and again and again until the judge finally said, all right, fine. Like, I don't really care about your problems, but since you won't leave me alone, I'm going to answer. And Jesus says, that's how you ought to pray. Just don't quit. Don't ever quit. So Paul is saying, that's, I want you to pray like that with thanksgiving, and I want, I want you to pray steadfastly. And here's specifically what he wants them to pray about. That God may open to us a door for the word. If I were Paul, and I'm, and I'm sitting in prison... And I feel like it's my calling that God has put on my life to plant churches and spread the gospel. And I can't do that because I'm in prison. 
And I have people that I've helped come to a place where Jesus is at the center of their lives and, and I want to encourage and disciple them, but I can't because I'm in prison. You know what my prayer would be? Hey, would you pray that God would get me out of here? <laughs> that, that's, that's what my prayer would be. Would you guys just all get together and let's, let's maybe form some kind of jailbreak committee and see, see if we can get me out of this, this place. Isn't it fascinating that that's not the priority for Paul? Paul is praying that God would open a door for the word. The most important thing to him is that more people would know the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing to him, more important than getting out of prison. So he says, pray for that. And Paul's implication, what he believes about these believers and what I believe about you is that your prayers can open doors for the gospel. Your prayers can open doors for the gospel. That there, there, are, there are people on the other side of, of a door that don't know who Jesus is. Maybe they've been told but not shown. Maybe they've been shown but not told. Maybe they heard it and rejected it. Maybe they've never heard it at all. And this door, that's not something that you and I can open. We're talking about the human heart. We're talking about the ability to change someone's heart and mind. Guess what? You can't do that, and neither can I. And you can just take that weight right off your shoulders right now. But you can pray that God would open a door. And Paul believes that your prayers can open doors for the gospel. Um, I didn't plan to do this, but Doug, would you come up here for a minute? I just saw you, and I thought, there's no reason not to bring Doug into this conversation Grab that microphone right there. Uh, wake up back there, everybody. We're doing something new. <laughs> I love surprises. Surprise! Uh, Doug uh, takes uh, the, the gospel to places where the gospel's not always welcome and helps people get translations of God's word into their own language. This is what Doug does. He travels all over the world and helps people get the gospel in their own language. Um, yeah, Absolutely. Just give me 60-second snapshot on why prayer matters in what you do. Oh, prayer matters in what I do because I can't do anything without God. I can't do anything without your prayers and your support. And there's so much that I just carried back with me that I'd like to tell you, but your prayers are important for the people that I work with. It gives them power encouragement. It gives them insight, and God answers those prayers. Can I take a tangent? Sure. <laughs> this is terrifying for a missionary, but go yeah. ahead. <laughs> it is, but I just want to give you an example of a couple of things that uh, will bring this home, I hope. Uh, one of the men I worked with in, uh, was, was from uh, Iran. He searched for a year to find a Bible. He's been chastised from his family. They, his father told him, my son is dead because of converting to Christianity. Others have gone through persecution. Uh, we were in the country uh, of, of Georgia, former Soviet Republic, where we could train them safely. They're headed back in fear of their lives, and they need your prayers. Hopefully at some point in time I can go a little deeper, but I think I've exceeded my 60-second time You're minute. fine, man. <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a minute and, and pray for Doug and his wife, Tammy. God, thank you so much for what you're doing through Doug and the ministry of Bible translation. 
God, we pray that as Doug continues to walk through these doors that you have opened, uh, that you will continue to give him courage and confidence that, that the results are up to you. Help him to continue to trust that every door that you open, you're going you're gonna to walk through with him, that he's never alone. Bless his wife as she continues to be a part of this ministry and mission and continue to use them, God, to take the gospel um, through these doors around the world. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, brother. Just sit right there. How, how long would you search for a Bible before you gave up? A year? I believe that God answers our prayers to open doors for the gospel. And so maybe it's, maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's something global that you, you see on the other side of this door. But maybe there's a face there's a person that you know doesn't know Jesus, that you know really needs Christ in their lives, really needs to put him at the center. And there's a face when you look at this. There's a face on the other side of that door. And you've been trying to crank that door open for years. You've been hauling on that handle, and you just can't make it happen. Paul says, pray steadfastly and with thanksgiving that God would open a door for his word. And we're, we're going to do that a little bit later. But let's, let's continue. Paul um, is, uh, is going to shift gears here as we go into um, verses 5 and 6. Paul says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. So in the, in the previous verses, Paul said that, I, I pray that you would open doors for, for, for myself and Timothy and, and those of us who are, you know, this is our vocation, we are evangelists, and this is what we do, that God would open doors for us. And now Paul is shifting the attention back to you. And he's saying, you believers, those of you who have put Christ at the center, who have moved with Jesus from death to life, those of you who are living in such a way that the gospel is reflected in your words and actions, now you need to pay attention to how you live among those who don't know Jesus. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. He says, make the most of the time. He, he's, he's using language that says, I want, I want you to invest heavily. It's like buying up all the time. I want you to invest heavily your time. For most of us, time is our most valuable commodity. We would rather give $100 than an hour of our time. It's just easier a lot of times. And Paul says, I want you to invest your time in this. The most valuable thing you have, that thing that you can't get back once you spend it. Invest it in people who don't know Jesus. Walk in wisdom. Let your conversation be gracious and seasoned with salt. Don't get too excited. Some of you think that's an excuse for salty language. That's not what we mean here. That's not what we're talking about. Seasoned with salt. Salt makes things flavorful and engaging, Right? You've tasted the difference between popcorn with salt and popcorn without salt. We had a minor crisis in our home a couple weeks ago. My wife came home from the grocery store with low-sodium bacon. It, it was a disaster. We, we had to sit down and pray about that together. So salt makes things engaging. It makes you want more of it. 
And Paul says, your language, the way that you talk to people who don't know Jesus, should make them want more Jesus in their life. Is that the reputation that the church has in our culture? That when you are around Christians, it makes you want more of what they have? Is that the reputation that we have? It's the reputation you can have. Does your language, does the way that you speak make people want more of Jesus? Is it seasoned with salt? Making the most of your time so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So in the previous verses, Paul was saying, I I pray that you would help me make the gospel clear. Let me go back to that for a moment because when Paul says, help me make it clear, the the word that he uses is the same word that he used in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, when he says that when Christ appears, you also will appear with him in glory. And appear, we know what appear means. It means to make something visible, right? Exact same word that Paul uses in chapter 4 when he says to make the gospel clear. Help me make it clear. He said, help me make it visual. I, I want people not just to hear it, but to see it. It's like show and tell. Do you remember show and tell? Do they still have that in school? Teachers, do we still do show and tell? Cool, show and tell is awesome. You get to bring something from home, something that's special to you, your teddy bear or your you know, guinea pig or you know, your favorite toy, and it's a visual, and you show the class, this is important to me, and then you tell them why. And Paul says, this is what we're doing with the gospel. We are showing it in our lives. We're putting our lives out there and saying, this is me. This is who I am. I'm a person who puts my trust in Jesus. I'm a person who, every decision I make, everything I do, I want it to honor him. I'm a person who, if, if I need peace in my life, I know exactly where it's going to come from. If I need some more joy in my life, I know the only person that can give it to me. If I'm looking for purpose in my world, I know where to go. This is my life. I'm not perfect, but this is me. Show it, and then you can tell it. And so when he says uh, that we ought to know how to answer everyone, Paul is saying, when you show your life in this way, when you make it visible, when you make it clear, people are going to ask you, why in the world would you have peace right now? Your, your life is not going all that well. You lost your job or, or your marriage is rocky or, or your, your health is bad. Why would you have peace? You've shown them something. And now you get to tell. And Paul says, you need to know how to answer everyone. So I want to talk through uh, three um, philosophies that a lot of people have that are not necessarily Christian, but they're probably spiritual. Most of the people that you know that don't follow Jesus would probably call themselves spiritual. They believe that there's more to life than what we can see and taste and touch, but they're not necessarily Jesus followers. For some reason, they've said no to that. But here are three basic philosophies, and, and we picked these up from a book we read by Hayden Shaw called Generational IQ. I recommend that. But the first one, uh, he says, is that this mentality of be good is very common. Be good, be good. That if there is a God and there is a heaven where God lives, then good people will go there, right? Good good people are gonna go to heaven. And uh, and so all I have to do is be good. And how do I know if I'm good or not? Well, I look at the people around me and I go, I feel like I'm in pretty good shape because I know all you guys and you're not that great. So compared to you, I'm pretty good. That's how, that's how most people do it. We compare ourselves to other people, and you can always find people around you that are worse. They've done 
worse things that they're, you know, they've got, they've got a bigger list of sins or their sins are just more serious or whatever. And we compare to them. We go, based on my comparison with these people, I'm, I'm pretty good. And good people go to heaven. So uh, I'm in good shape. That's how a lot of people feel. Maybe you've believed that at some point. Maybe you believe that today. The problem with that is God is not using the same definition for good that we are. God's definition is not comparing us to each other. It's comparing us all to Jesus. And based on Jesus as the standard, uh, how many of us are good? Zero. Zero. And so it's not being good that gets you into heaven. That's good news. That's freedom for a lot of people. They've never heard that. And so they've, they've been fighting this battle of comparison their whole lives, and we get to set people free and say it's, it was never being good that was going to get you in anyway. It was Jesus. It's always been Jesus. So that, that mentality is out there. We need to know that. The second is feel good. Feel good. I deserve to feel good. If there is a God and God is loving, then God wants me to be happy. And therefore, whatever feels good and makes me happy is okay. So if giving money away makes me feel good and gossiping about my coworker makes me feel good, how can one be right and the other wrong? They both feel good. They both make me happy and God loves me and wants me to be happy, right? No, God does love you, and he wants you to experience abundant life. But God actually knows what's best for you. And if we operate on the assumption that whatever I say feels good to me is what's best for me, we have taken God completely out of the equation. Our creator, the one who knows us, and we've said, you don't really get me, do you? I'm going to do what I want to do. So be good, feel good. A lot of people, are, that's where they're living and we get to help people see that there's a better way. And thirdly, it's uh, just live your life. God is watching. Live your life. God is watching. We, we value individuality and identity in our culture today. And there's some positive things about that. But the result of a lot of that is, like, you do you, right? You, you do you. you. You be whoever you want to be. You can be anyone that you want to be. You can do anything you want to be. You can define and identify yourself however you want to. And it's fine. But God is watching, so just try in the process not to tick God off. Try not to make God mad. There are probably some big things out there that make God really mad. Try not to do those things. And uh, try not to hurt anybody else. As long as what you're doing doesn't hurt anybody else, you do you. The, the problem with that is it, it puts me at the center of the universe, me at the center of my life. Whatever I want, whatever I decide myself to be, but God never created us for us to be at the center the center place in our lives, that's too much responsibility. We, we're not going to handle it. We're going to blow it every single time. There's only one person who deserves to be at the center who can actually sustain us and hold us together, and his name is Jesus. And so we get to set people free. We get to understand, and this is what it means to walk in wisdom and to know how to answer everyone, is to know that, that this is how a lot of people think and feel. And many of you resonate with that. Many of you have had some of these same thoughts yourself. But what we get to do as followers of Jesus is, as Paul said, declare the mystery of Christ. We get to declare the mystery of Christ. Well, well if, if I'm not at the center, then how, who is? How, how can I have a relationship with God? How do I know what my purpose is? The answer to all those questions is Jesus. And we get to help declare the mystery of Jesus. So how do we do that? In real practical terms, this is where a lot of people get nervous and you say, you know what, look, evangelism is not my thing. Like that's probably your thing and that's why we have preachers and, and evangelists and people on TV, but that's not my thing. But here's, here's what I, I want you to know and because I, I believe this is what Paul is 
laying right on top of these believers at this church, so why not us, is that it is your responsibility, it's your privilege, and you can do this. It's not as complicated as you think. And finally, you are not responsible for the results. You're not responsible for the results. If God opens a door and you walk through that door and you show and tell the gospel, then whether that person changes their heart and mind is not on you. So you you get to kind of release that burden. But we do have a responsibility to walk through the door, to pray that God would open the doors and then walk through them. So how do we do that? So three quick tips. Number one, ask questions. Ask good questions of people. When people, you know that there are people around you that don't know Jesus, ask good questions. And these are not questions where we're trying to pick a theological fight, okay? You may feel well-armed for some kind of debate. That's not really how people come to Jesus. It's by you winning a theological debate with them. So we're going to ask questions about real-life stuff. Where do you go when you're sad? What do you do when when life gets really hard? Where do you turn for comfort? Where do you turn for unconditional love? Where do you turn for forgiveness when you feel guilty? These are the kind of questions that I think point spiritual people in a direction that that leads to Jesus. So ask good questions and then listen. Listen. Listen not with an ear towards a, a mistake. Many of us are editors at heart, you know. We listen and we're processing and we're watching for mistakes. And we hear a grammatical mistake or a factual mistake and we pounce on it. That's not actual listening. That's very selfish listening. We're listening to understand. We really want to get to know people, what makes them tick and what's going on inside of them. We want to hear their story so we can understand them. So ask good questions and listen. Is any of that so far too hard for you? Nope. It's pretty easy stuff, right? And finally, share what God is doing in your life. Share what God is doing in your life. Share what you are learning. Share what you're learning. How many of you had a conversation with someone in the last 24 hours about Andrew Luck? Raise your hand. Some of you need to raise your hands because you talked to me about it this morning. So um, why? Why are we all talking about this? It's fresh. It's brand new. Are we going to be talking about this a year from now? Probably not. It's not not like that kind of big a deal, right? It's it's easy to talk about new news. It's fresh and, and it's... For some people, emotional. Some of you came in like you with wiping the tears. Pull it together, all right? It's easy to talk about new things. And so for many of you, the reason why you haven't talked to anyone else about your faith in a long time is because the last big, important, or new thing that happened in your faith happened a long time ago. Maybe the last important thing that happened in your faith was when you said yes to Jesus and and you made him the center of your life. Maybe you got baptized. And, and that was the last new thing that happened. And it's not new anymore. So it would feel weird to talk about this thing that you did a long time ago. Like it would be weird if I just went around, you know, talking to people about, hey, you know, almost 20 years ago I got married. You want to see the photos? It was great. Let's talk about my wedding day. That's kind of weird. It's not new, right? So, but if God is doing something new in your life today, that's easy to talk about. That's very easy to talk about. It feels very natural. When, when you're learning something new about Jesus and you're putting that into practice in a new way, that's so easy to talk about. This is not rocket science. It's not that complicated. But if you're not experiencing something new with Jesus, you have nothing to share. All your news is old. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel important anymore. It is important. It just doesn't feel that way because it's in the past. 
So if, if nothing new is happening in your relationship with Jesus and you just don't have anything to share, then I dare you to move. That's what this whole series has been about. If that's where you are, you need to go back and listen to the last three weeks of messages and, and move, do something, engage your faith in a way that gives you a story to share with the people around you, the people on the other side of that door who need to hear your story. I have a friend, uh, Matt, who uh, is doing this, living this out in real life. I want to share his story with you. Ago, you had come to me on a Sunday morning and just you were really excited to tell, tell me a story. Um, so, just tell me that story again. Uh, my mornings usually start at 5 5 30 in the morning. Um, on the days that I take my kids to school, the bus stops around the corner. I live on a highway, so I asked the bus driver if I could meet at my neighbor's house. Um, and uh, because I live right on the highway, it's a curve, it's just dangerous, and it just, it just made sense. His kids ride the bus. Um, and the people's house that I meet at, it's, it's ironic. I moved into my house a couple years ago and I met them and uh, he's got a son that's in high school and raises four wheelers, which is what I did when I was in high school. Uh, so there's an instant connection there. Uh, my daughter was in his daughter's class. So there was another instant connection there and they were really good friends. Uh, daughter was a sweetheart. Bus comes at 7.45. So I usually try to try to get there and I park in his driveway so it's out everybody's way and everybody comes out and the kids get on the bus. And my instant reaction almost every day is, Kids on the bus, I gotta go, right? I'm already about an hour and a half, two hours behind. The phone's ringing, <clears throat> and every day he, he kind of comes with high and we make some small talk and stuff. But um, sadly, I'm, I kind of got the habit of, of I almost have an exit strategy before I even before I even get there. And it was a Friday morning, and I, I had I had a rough week, and I woke up Friday morning, and I just I just sat down at the kitchen table, and I put my boots on, and I asked God, I said, Hey God, you know, put my hand, put your hand on my marriage, put your hand on my kids. Um, Give me the opportunity to talk to one person today and open my eyes. And I said, Amen. And I got up and uh, headed out the door. It wasn't 10 minutes later. Parked in the driveway. My phone's ringing. And uh, the kids get on the bus. And, and he walks up. And, and I, my window's down. And he just his wife had just passed away from cancer at this point. Uh, I lost my mom to cancer uh, when I was younger. So I kind of know what his, what his son's going through. And uh, I know what he's going through as a dad. I watched my dad go through it. And, uh, now also he's a single dad, um, you know, I've, I've been divorced and there was a time in my life where I was a single dad. So all these little things I can relate to, um, just, just in my mind, I was like, not at 7.30 in the morning, I gotta go. And he puts his hands on my window and just starts talking, just spilling his guts about it. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, you know. I just asked God for this to happen. Turn everything off, this is an opportunity to listen. and. Um, hopefully really make a difference in somebody's life. Um, it was just a really cool opportunity and he talked to me about his struggles. My biological daughter, she's she's a lot like his older daughter. They like to read books and they can sit in a corner and read books all day long and be perfectly happy. And that's great. But when somebody's grieving, as a dad, it isn't like that. You struggle to feel like they're grieving okay. You don't know how to make sure that, like, that that's okay. You don't know. And, uh, and he was really struggling with that. I immediately started thinking of you guys' um, book program with the first graders through fifth graders and you have hanging in the lobby. And uh, I came in and, and, I, and I got one. And uh, I got one, his daughter was going into fifth grade. And I dropped off in his mailbox with a note. And about a week later, he wrote me a note back and said that it just, it absolutely meant the world. And 
he opened it up and uh, and tried it out on first page and, and, and his daughter opened up a little bit and he said that that, that really helped because he just wasn't sure how to start a conversation with it. It's not, not the craziest story in the world, but it was just an immediate, immediate opportunity for God to answer some nice prayers. I am that man uh, and I pray for the one. What I hope you got from that is Matt didn't do anything that you can't do. He, he didn't quote a bunch of scripture. He didn't have this big thing memorized. He prayed that God will give an opportunity. God gave him an opportunity 10 minutes later, and he stepped into it. 10 minutes later. Can you do that? Yeah. Is that something you could do? Of course you can. Of course you can. All Matt did was listen he listened and then he responded. He came and got a book. I don't know if you picked up on that part. We've got these books out here for parents of first through fifth graders. He came and got one of those books, dropped it off and con to continue that conversation. We don't know how this story is going to end yet, but what we know is anyone can do this. You pray, God, would you open a door? Pray for one. God, give me one chance. And when he opens the door, just step through it. Just step through it and trust him. Listen, ask good questions, share what you're learning in your faith journey, and trust God for the rest. We're just going to trust him. Can you do this? We're going to find out. So in your bulletin, you should have a uh, door on a piece of paper. If you don't have one of those, or if the person next to you doesn't have, just tear yours in half and share or do something so that the people around you have an opportunity here. I, I, want, you to, I, I want you to picture whose face is on the other side of this door for you. Who is it that you know, that you love, that you've been praying for, that you just met? And you know they don't know Jesus, or you're pretty sure they don't really know Jesus. And you, you want to pray today that God would open a door for the gospel to them. Write their name down. Maybe it's uh, a whole community of people. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe it's your workplace. You know, it's my workplace, they're all, they're all crazy. Let's, let's pray for all of them, you know? Maybe it's an area in the world, uh, like where the places where Doug goes, in, in the Middle East or Northern Africa or Asia, and you want to pray for an area uh, around the globe where the doors to the gospel are closed for a lot, of, a lot of people. Write that down. Pray that God would open a door. Here, here's the part of this prayer that's scary. This is a door for you to walk through, okay? So don't, don't pray that God would open a door for me to walk through. God, would you please give Adam a chance to share the gospel with my friend? No, no. Ask God to give you a chance to share the gospel with your friend, okay? This is a door for you to walk through. So you're going to write that name down. Um, and then we're going to do something with that in, in just a minute. But right now, I just want you to pray with me. And if you don't have a name on your heart, we're going to pray about that right now. Just let's go to God. Father. Would you put a name, a face, a story, a person on the heart of everyone in this room? We all know people who need Jesus. And as we write these names down, Father, we're going to commit these to you. We're going to ask you to do your part that we can't do, which is open doors for these people to hear the gospel. And then we're going to do our part. And then we're going to step through those doors. And just show people love. Speak to them with grace and truth. So God, we pray that you would we answer these prayers that we offer up this morning. In Christ's name, amen.
Would you stand? If you're still writing, that's fine. You can sit, or if you can write while you're standing. Just a minute, we're going to sing a song. And uh, as we sing, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to bring those names on that, those pieces of paper down front and lay them on the stage. Just as a, as a, as a way to move. I'm daring you to move, to, to get out of your seat and demonstrate that you're serious about this. It's easy to write that name down, stuff it in your pocket, go home, and find it in the laundry next week. But if you come down front and you lay that name on this stage, you're saying to God, I'm, I mean this, I'm serious about it. And our staff is going to collect all these papers and we're going to pray with you for these people. I don't need your name on there. We're just going to pray with you for these people that God would open doors for you to share the gospel with the people in your life. So as we sing this song, bring your names down front as a testimony to what God's done in your life and what you hope to see him do in the lives of others.